Hi, I'm Leah. And I'm Steve. And we're the host of a new podcast called Remnant Stew. Yes, we release an episode every other week that features weird, bizarre, and intriguing true stories. That's right. We track down and bring to you some of the weirdest stories and trivia, like the shrimp that spits out a glowing loogie, or the turtle that survived being locked up in a room and forgotten for 30 years. Or the time a shark on display in an aquarium puked up a human arm Mm -hmm. that sparked off the murder investigation that remains unsolved to this day. Which reminds me of another story about strange vomit that is sometimes actually considered to be a delicacy. That is a great story. Or that time when a sheep, a duck, and a rooster, I know it sounds like the beginning of a joke, but this time was a real story that they took the very first balloon ride. So if you need a break from the news and want something to satisfy a curious mind, then tune in to Remnant Stew. It's available on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We hope you'll tune in and join the adventure. And in the meantime, as always, please remember to be kind and... Always stay curious. Go Ask Alice is a show intended for adult audiences, because adults want to learn too. Sometimes we cover sensitive material, so please take care of yourselves, and listener discretion is advised. Now on to the show. Hello, Internet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids for our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, and I'm wearing pants today. With me is... <laughs> I'm Lindsay, and in addition to being surprised that Drew is wearing pants, uh, I would like to let you know that <laughs> I finished a tube of chapstick. Wow. Whoa. I don't think I've ever wow. finished a tube of chapstick in my life. Well, yeah, that's really impressive. Uh, I'm Sarah, and I have like 18 opened chapsticks around my home. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. This is the show where we jump around random internet wiki pages, sometimes going off wiki if we're being honest, but we all start every week on the same wiki page and we use hyperlinks within the article to wander the internet in procrastination mode in search of something that is truly fascinating or intriguing. Pretty much every single time this is something that we have never expected and never really knew much about before we started reading and teaching each other. And so we are bursting with excitement to share it with each other and all of you. This week, we started on a Patreon choice. So if you sub to our Patreon at certain tiers, you get to decide our starting page for question of the week. Very exciting. So this, who was our patron who decided? As Jinxie. 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 Thank you so much, Jinxie, for your choice of starting page this week, because it was so fascinating, I didn't want to click away. Jinxie chose body modification. Mm. That was a that was a very difficult one to step away from. Where oh, did it was. where did everyone end up? Well, I ended up on face powder. <gasps> Ooh. Gotta powder your face. You gotta go powder a little powder puff on my face. Exactly, <laughs> wow. exactly. That's face perfect because Drew's blushing. Oh, you. And I ended up on the Terra Nova expedition, which is a little bit of Antarctic history. Ooh, I know no Antarctic history. That is... I did not before this, and I think it's 
really cool. I'll give you a little teaser. It's been described as uh, the worst journey in the world. <gasps> I think we've Oh, I feel like we this. talked about that. Yes. Yeah. Somebody passed this somewhere. Someone okay. went through this article. Can it might I, have been I you, I think Sarah. it might have been giant squids. No, I think it was giant squids. I think giant you. Giant squids. Uh, all right. All right. Well, I did. Yeah, I didn't land. I got in... stuck. I'm glad that you got <laughs> stuck because that would have been a sad one to miss permanently. And where did you end up? Uh, not as cool as you guys. I'm gonna say I landed up once again in sociology land. Um, I'm gonna talk about thought terminating cliches. Cool. I'm interested. <laughs> I didn't either. I was like, I have never heard of a cliche so dangerous that it's thought terminating. Uh, but yeah. that's in fact what it is. <laughs> okay, I'm psyched. Uh, but before we begin, we absolutely have to start with question of the week because we have some of the cutest and sweetest responses. So this week's question was, what is the most meaningful gift you have ever received? And I'm going to start with Drew. Because it was Drew's question. So it is. Drew's it was my question. question. Um, so I actually posted this in business, but we'll post this elsewise. Elsewheres. That's <laughs> elsewise. Uh, <laughs> elsewise. <laughs> um, but it's um, actually a very recent gift. Uh, it if you look in business now, you'll see a little pelican that is currently sitting on my desk at work. Oh. And his name is Scoop. Oh. And um, so the company, the theater group that I worked with, um, they have a tradition of handing out Beanie Babies uh, that are meaningful to the people and, and um, like actually like have a, have a like reference to your role or just something like that. And um, the the reason I was given scoop was because I scooped up so much responsibility and Aww. didn't let it fall out of my my bill and, you know, really, really helped this group. Aww. They didn't have a sound guy one week before show. And so they said that I scooped up all this responsibility and didn't let it go. And they really appreciated it. So that's that's scoop. And uh, that's the, the <laughs> most meaningful gift I've, I've received in maybe a really long time. So that's so <laughs> that's, nice. It was great. I that love yeah, right? those little personalized rewards. I also kind of love thinking now of pelicans as like maritime angels. <laughs> just yeah. like you carry you to salvation. Little I love pelicans. Oh, you, yeah. Speaking of pelicans, though, have you guys seen the video where a pelican swallows uh, a bird whole? No. Yeah. No. That's uh Just if you if you feel like it, you can Google it. It's a fun, I feel like that's how fact. they always eat. But yeah, it like stole a pigeon. Just oh my- picked up a pigeon, swallowed it whole. Oh my god. Yeah. It's an excellent video because everyone in it is just like, oh, that's cannibalism. <laughs> Holy I'm shit. sure they are. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? Uh, so I, I've received a heap of different meaningful gifts. So many. Um, but one of my favorite is the one that I'm wearing right now. This is my ring. So I've okay. got a sapphire ring that I wear every day. And my nan gave it to me for, I think it was my 18th birthday, Aww. I believe. So I've almost been wearing it every day Aww. for like 10 years. Pretty sure it was my 18th birthday. Um, and it's very sweet, but my favorite 
part about it was when Nen gave it to me, she's like, it's a sapphire because that's my birthstone. So you can remember me when I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And thankfully she is not dead and uh, I hope she never will be. But. Yeah, so I love this because I giggle. Every time I see it, I have like a little giggle because I'm like, remember me when I'm gone. So good. I feel like... That's great. Like, that's totally your grandmother. Like, you would be like that too as a grandmother. You'd be like, remember me when I'm dead. It's my birthday. I would be. I would be. And I've got um, a submission for question of the week from Discord. And so does Drew Actually, so I might do mine and then we can bounce to Drew's submission. Um, so mine is from uh, Geist, which means ghost in German, I have learned. Um, and they posted that they received this teddy bear and they posted a picture of it, which you can see on our Discord in questions of the week. If you would like to join, we would love to have you. And it's this adorable little red bear that looks like it has been hugged for many, many years. And it has because they said that they have snuggled with it every night since their spouse sent it to them. Uh, when their relationship began online 17 years ago. And they said that today is our anniversary Mm. and they've been married since 2015. Wow, that's so sweet. That is adorable. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Um, So we love we love that one. That's the best part of a meaningful one. gift is when a lot of thought goes in and then it's so well loved on the other end. It's like it really takes two people to make a meaningful gift. Gift. Yes. That's so true. Speaking of which, um, uh, I actually, this was uh, another Discord um, submission. Our friend Sizzle Smacks, or Gunshizer, as you may know her, um, she posted that... Uh, this is actually a gift I got her, but um, I got her for her 18th birthday, a pillow of uh, just Garrus Vakarian's face, who's from Mass Effect, uh, if you don't know. Uh, he's a, he's a great, he's a, he's a thirst trap, I would say, for everyone. <laughs> he's an alien! <laughs> <laughs> and? I don't, I don't see it, but. And? Okay, everyone's in it. love with this alien man. Everyone is. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay. I I play a female shepherd just to like just to romance him. So that's how much we all love him. Amazing. Uh, but yeah, so I, I got her a pillow uh, a few years ago, and she says she's been snuggling it uh, for years. So that's that's another submission from Discord. So uh, come join our Discord, and we can all tip tap type to each other. Yeah, yeah, and send pictures of our body pillows or whatever. <laughs> 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 you don't want that. Uh, I, should add, I should add mine to the collection, which is a giant seal that Simon got me years ago. I was feeling like really depresso espresso. Um, and he got me this giant seal that I could snuggle at night when I was Aww. feeling sad. Okay, Wait, you don't get two Lindsay. submissions, Sarah. Sorry, you can cut <laughs> yeah. one out. Too sweet. Yeah. Um, I'll start off with our Twitter submissions. So you can also always answer our question of the week at Go Ask Alice Pod on Twitter. Please do, because usually uh, Twitter's just like a place for not being sweet. So these made me absolutely <laughs> cackle. Um, these are not sweet. <laughs> so um, Johannes from Monochrome who usually does answer our questions of the weeds. What, what an absolute champion. Uh, he just sent cash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. 
Oh. God, so you can buy your own meaningful gift. Yeah. There you go. You can buy food. Thank you. Infinite possibilities. And we have another submission by an individual by the name of Lord Steve Hamilton, who just said a rock. And I was like, was it a special rock? And I was expecting them to be like, oh, diamond engagement ring, blah, blah, blah. They were like, oh, yeah, it was a meteorite. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty pretty cool. cool. (laughs) That's pretty cool. cool. That's That's better than a diamond. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And uh, my own answer to this question is a pile of books, but it's because my boyfriend, Daniel, once like Christmas was coming up and in the semester following that Christmas, I had decided to sit in on a poetry class for like, this is during grad school and it was an undergrad poetry class that I just wanted to like sneak into and, and listen to and be a part of. So Daniel looked up the class and looked up the syllabus and went all over Syracuse to Aww. a bunch of different used bookstores to find the oldest and antiquiest and coolest looking poetry books that were all oh. of <laughs> list. And he bought me every single book on the list. And I like, I, wow. it was the most overwhelmingly wow. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I still have all of them. They look excellent on my shelves. They're little works of art. Um, I definitely looked like kind of a tool using them in class because everyone had like the Barnes and Noble version. And I'm like, here's my 1850s like original version. Let me crack open this Blake, William Blake. And I'm like, uh, move, oh my God. Move the like sheet out of the way so I can see the engravings in the book. And like, Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. I take poetry really seriously. (laughs) Yeah. I looked very (laughs) but I was just I was so genuinely my only concern was damaging the books by bringing them to to class. That was all I cared about. Um they were really beautiful books. That is adorable. Wow. (laughs) That was very I love this question. This is such a nice question of the week. It was. So, where should we begin? Do we want to start on an adventure, start in the Antarctic, move to some psychological damage, and then we've had a hard day, so we're going to powder our face and move on with the world? I mean, that works. Yeah, that works. Sounds good to me. Like that order. The only thing these things have in common is body modifications. (laughs) (laughs) Is no common thread. (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm totally fine with that order. Okay, so are you guys ready to learn about the Tara Nova expedition or the worst journey in the world? Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Brilliant. So we've got to cast our minds back to the early 1900s when all of a sudden they had realized that Antarctica was a thing, giant freaking thing of ice and glaciers and like incredible things that they'd never seen before. It was very different to um, the Arctic Circle. It was a bit unexpected. Um, and so they were very, very keen to get to the South Pole. And this was a time in exploration where it was like, where can we go that is the most remote, you know, dangerous mm. places where mankind has never been before? Yeah, yeah. And so people were very keen to get to the South Pole. And, you know, it was it was a bit of a, like, I, I wrote Think of the Space Race, but on ice, because it was different groups from different <laughs> nations who were like, we need to get there first. That's and we're going to fly. 
Yeah, literally, they needed to get their implanted flag, which is just why, men. Why do we need to plant flags places? But to go okay. places no one has been before. You gotta stick my flag in it. It's, it's the same reason. It's the same reason we have to throw rocks on ice. You just have to throw rocks you at just it. Gotta. There's no, there's no you other. You have gotta. to. You just gotta. Oh, there's you nothing. Gotta. Instinct. Nothing there. Gotta put my flag there. Got it. <laughs> so people got to put their flag there and, you know, strong push for different countries to be the first to the South Pole. And of course, this was not easy. This wasn't just we can rock up and away we go. It is an insanely far distance from the edge of Antarctica, no matter really where you land on it, to the South Pole. And it's about 3,000 kilometers that you need to trek to get there. Um, and 3,000 kilometers is just... Like, batshit crazy. That is an insane amount of distance. And you've got to do it. You can't do it not wearing anything. So you've got to wear your protective gear. You've got to take your food, your shelter with you. So each person is carrying about 100 to 150 plus kilos on their back. Oh, my um, and- God. I went lightweight yeah. backpacking and I still hated it. And that was, like, <laughs> by design, 20 pounds. <laughs> These poor people are holding, like greater than their body weight pretty much around um and i wrote to put it in perspective it's like running 69 back-to-back marathons with no real food no real shelter they didn't have like sled dogs well i'm gonna get to this so obviously you can't walk everything but you do have to walk a bit of it um and so they I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. They did take some sled dogs and some other unexpected things. Um, sled monsters. Oh. Yeah. Emus. I wish they took emus. Emus. <laughs> Don't they live in the desert, Drew? They are yeah. The most magical it's the same thing. <laughs> oh. Everybody has to hug an emu in their life. I don't trust them. I love them. I, I love them, them with all my soul. I don't trust them. <laughs> so, um... We're gonna we're gonna come back before the Terra Nova expedition. The British had previously explored around the area with something called the Discovery Expedition, and they returned in 1904. So they had heard that the Australasians and the Norwegian teams were planning expeditions in the coming years, and that they were going to get to the South Pole. That was their goal. It wasn't to explore. Um, geography or zoology it was to get to the south pole so they had these other um countries and collaborations between countries had like a very specific goal however terra nova was funded on this idea of it being a more broadly ranging goal so not only would they try to get to the south pole but they would document all the geography they would document the zoology they would bring back samples and specimens and so scientifically a very very important mission um and they needed people, or let's be honest, they needed men, because I don't think women were allowed to apply, um, who were interested with an insane amount of broad skills. So they were requesting people with naval experience, medical backgrounds, zoological backgrounds, geographical backgrounds. You, could you cook? Could you sail? Um, you know, we basically need everything. Can you build a hut? Come on the boat pretty much so i'm imagining like all all like the 1900s like strong men like you know like the kind of like (laughs) brawling kind of types like with their like curled fists and the mustache (laughs) 
that's the only kind of person who can apply to this. <laughs> the old classic pugilist. Yes, pugilist. Yes, it's like the 1900s version of a man. That's the only person who can apply. Man. Well, I looked. I looked at a heap of photos from these men, and some of them fit that definition of big brawny brutes, um, but some of them do not. Like they look like academics. And I'm like, you poor sods, this is, like, you chose to do this. Wow. So many people wanted to do it. They received 8,000 applications. And Mm. out of the 8,000, they whittled it down to a team of 65 men. Wow, that's so bigger than I thought. It's massive because, um, and I was quite surprised. I'm like, oh, you only need a few men. But you really need people to build, like, depots of fuel, oil, um, blubber that you can boil so you can get heat um and you need people who can manage the sled dog so you don't take your sled dogs all the way with you you have to stop places send them back people bring them back when you're when you're coming back from your expedition you need people to you know just it's it's a massive massive task um and so yeah 65 and they included people that were um veterans of the discovery expedition so they'd previously been and seen antarctica they had some experience but they also included people with like really specific knowledge about other things so um a few scientists that were really into trying to understand genetic diversity um and how different (laughs) specimens evolve and grow in different regions they had geographers that were trying to figure out what glaciers really were and how they were different in the South Pole compared to what you see up in the north. Mm. And so, you know, good. It's what you want. A bit of bit of a mixed bag. Uh, and one of these people uh, who was actually the head honcho of the show was someone called Robert Falcon Scott. And we're going to call him Scott from here on out. Not now, Falcon? A, not Falcon. No, because... <laughs> I wrote this tired and I'm a dumb bitch. So I wrote Scott. <laughs> okay, Scott. Falcon Scott. Maybe I'll just call him Falcon Scott. Falcon Scott. Falcon Scott. Is an <laughs> yeah go on (laughs) Uh, so this this man was previously the leader of the discovery expedition so he had some good experience under his belt uh, and he was made the leader of the terra nova expedition so they had their people they were ready to go but i think it's important that we chat about like who the hell was paying for all of this because it's really bloody expensive. I was expensive. imagining that in my own head. I was like, do rich people just have a network of weird-ass hobbies they care about? <laughs> kind of. So I was like, you know, it's going to be fully funded by research institutions or, um, you know, royal institutions or government. Uh, but it was only funded 50% from, like, research slash government institutions the rest of it the rest of the money was collected from like private investors loans from their wealthy friends and a lot of it was like donation of equipment and food and you know all these other supplies dogs ponies like all of these things that were given to them by wealthier people wait they brought ponies to antarctica they did bring ponies there have been arctic ponies there are not Arctic ponies. They're Siberian ponies that are used to the cold. But they brought. Ooh, but cool. what I'm what I'm hearing is ponies have been to Antarctica. Yes, many many ponies have been to Antarctica. 
I cannot picture this. Can you imagine ponies next to penguins? Like, I cannot picture that. (laughs) I know. Isn't it awesome? I don't don't know if they put the ponies near the penguins. Um, But it would have been a great photo. Historically accurate. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay, just wow. But also, I'm not surprised about the rich people because it's like even to do research nowadays, like any kind of real research... Like, the funding comes from rich people's donations. Like, this is just, like, you just hope that you happen upon a really weird rich person who's into, like, intangible stuff. I'm going to build you a telescope. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, really what it is. It is. It is so sad that, like, discovery and expedition is based off how interested can you make the people with the money. Yeah. And money in general, that, that's a whole other brand, but money in general is just a <laughs> Money in general, yeah. But concept. was it, did it also become like a, a national pride thing where it's just like, oh, we want to have our, you know, get our boys there first, yes. you know? Yeah. Okay. I think that's why the British government and the Royal Society were supporting them because they had supported um, you know, a heap of different geographical, ge- geographical, geographical expeditions around a similar time, um, and this is the time of when you know, in the ne- coming decades, they would send people to try climb Everest. You know, um, the the famous team that never made it, or maybe they made it, but we'll never know. Um, before before Hillary, so yeah, so lots of funding for things like this and the total cost was, so remember this is like 120 years ago was 40,000 pounds which was Ooh. a pretty astronomical number. Wait, in their um, time? In their time. Holy shit. Yeah, okay. Whoa. So yeah, 40,000 pounds in their time, uh 5 and a half million dollars <laughs> in today's money. Wow. No. Oh, holy oh, shit. Yeah. To make you sad, that's a that's an average increase of about four percent a year with inflation. Okay, but they had to put ponies on ships. They did so... have to put ponies on ships, and they had to have a ship, and that was their most expensive purchase because they didn't have a ship that was ready to go. The British Navy didn't just have an Antarctic ship. That's they didn't need to be down there, so oh. they had to buy their ship, and they bought the Terra Nova. The, the namesake of the mission um, itself. And it was mighty expensive. It was 12,500 pounds. Did it have so, to be specially oh. made for the Arctic water? Excellent question. And yes, it was adapted because it had been to Antarctica before. Oh. It had been to the Antarctic waters. Okay. Um, so, you know, good purchase, I reckon. I ho- I mean, I don't know. This sounds like it was the worst trip ever, you said, so... Well, <laughs> the boat didn't fail them, so... Oh, okay, okay. The boat, 10 out of 10. But then know. the ponies learned how to use knives. I <laughs> 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 British ponies <laughs> using oh, knives. No, they're Siberian ponies. They're Siberian. Oh, they're Siberian ponies? Yeah, they're badasses. Oh, okay. um, spoiler, if they had have learnt to use knives, they might have survived. What the fuck happened? Holy shit. We're getting there. <laughs> what do you think happened? I think so. that they found a Yeti and the Yeti took the ship. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's my working theory. No Yetis. No Yetis. Um, All right. 
So they have their ship, they have their men, they trek off down to Antarctica. It's a bloody long journey, but they finally get there and they start to set up their safe bases. So I've uploaded in the business section and I'll put it in our Discord as well and on our Instagram so everybody can see it. There's this map, um, which is like a hand-drawn map of everything that they had mapped so far um, along their journey. So this is along the full journey. And you can see right down the bottom near the right-hand corner, there's the safety base. Mm. Um, And so that is where they Mm. set up most of the things. So what Um, we're looking at for everybody who's not in the Discord right now or not looking at the map, because if you're driving, do not start looking through our depravity (laughs) on our Discord. No, (laughs) that will cause an accident. So basically what we're looking at is... A very long vertical strip of the trail that they took. It looks almost inc- incredibly direct. I don't know if, um, if they knew that they were so direct, but it's starting um, from the sea and it looks like it heads north in a almost completely straight line until they reach the South Pole as per the perspective on this map. But it looks like they do have to cross a mountain range somewhere in the middle of this journey and the journey is kind of flagged with a few different um, byways or camps, I guess we would call them. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you guys want to add on to that description? The mountains that you're seeing, um, they are all different types of glaciers. So even more dangerous Mm -hmm. than a mountain because they're moving. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's terrifying. (laughs) Uh, The worst journey in the world had to be the one to the South Pole. Um, And this is where uh, at least, I think it was at least five or six men died trying to make this journey. And was this like a multinational collaboration or was this all British explorers? Like who, who were these people again? I think mainly all British or British national. So maybe people who had immigrated to Britain. Gotcha. With their skills. Okay. Yeah. So obviously the main goal of this whole thing is to get to the South Pole first. We've got to plant that British flag. And they had to wait through winter because you are not going to do it in winter. It's uh, like a death sentence. Mm. And they had to wait until uh, the light was starting to pick up. So they began in September. Now, uh, they had to do this in multi-stages. So 16 men originally set out to try and make this trek, but only six of them would actually make it to the South Pole because others would be sent back at different times. Oh, wow. Um, so it was super intricate of who was doing what, when, and where. And okay. they didn't all leave at the same time. They had different teams Um You know, if you had a dog team, you would leave before so you could set up a camp for the foot team to get there. Um, And, yeah, it's super cool, super complicated. Um, And so they set out with – they had two remaining motor sledges that that could work to carry supplies. They had their ponies and they had dogs. And this was for basically the first half of the journey until they hit the edge of the glaciers. And so their plan was – We'll head out. We're all going to meet at the base of the glaciers. We will then uh, shoot all of the ponies and we will use them for food and prepare food for the next half. My ponies! Yep. (laughs) Yep. Um, At this point, though, the dogs would then return back to the safety base and then they would be recalled months later. But for now, they would return because they can't go through the glaciers. It's too dangerous. And somebody would take Um, the dogs back, right? It's not like they would just be like, follow our footsteps. Okay. Hey, no. hey go. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, multiple people would take the dogs back and then 12 men in three different groups would then ascend the glaciers at different paces. And this was super dangerous. Um, Why did they glaciers pace moving. it? Oh, sorry. Pardon? Why did they pace it like that? Uh, so you could have rescue teams. So oh. if your team in front of you, so you set out first and if everything goes well, you make it to your next camp on time. The team behind you, they set out later. That way, if anything goes wrong, they come across you on their way and then can bring you to the camp um, and kind of vice versa. So if you make it to the camp and your other team does not, when they're expected, you can go back and look for them and help. Yeah. Cause literally I was going to be like, how did they do this without cell phones? Like how did they call for help <laughs> without cell phones? It was all based on you've, you need to, set this pace you need to make it at this depot or this camp by this date and if you do not then we will look for you um wow and this backfired because there were many things that went wrong and you eventually we'll get to it at the end had people waiting for people who were never going to come because <gasps> oh. the conditions were too dangerous holy um, shit okay oh that sucks yeah, yeah. Um, it does. So they, this was their plan. This was all their plan. They're going to do this. They're going to, you know, climb the glaciers and they will, you know, split their team again. Some will head to the South Pole. Some will stay back. And so up until this point, it was not confirmed who was actually going to be going to the South Pole. So all of the 12 men who had made it across the glaciers were, you know, kind of expecting that they had a good shot of going to the South Pole and they were very excited about it. But only six could so it was going to cut the team in half. So the plan was on the return journey, Scott and the six people who were able to make it to South Pole and back were meant to meet the dog teams again at the base of the glacier. Um, and then they were meant to set back between to the safety camp for a very okay. long journey. So the dog team was meant to offer supplies and things for them. So uh, this was the plan, uh, but they'd set off and by the first 50 miles now remember this glacier is like a thousand plus miles away um by the first 50 miles the two motor sledges had just completely died so the men had to then haul the additional 300 kilograms of stuff the motor sledges were carrying on their backs fuck that that was jeez yeah that was their supplies because if you don't take that you don't eat oh my god yeah so two weeks later they were hauling ass in the snow for two whole weeks until they reached their next camp. So this was the stage where Scott's initial plan was to return the dogs to the base. Um, But because they were going slower than they had expected, they were going to bring the dogs with them because they needed help pulling um, all of their gear and they needed help resting people. Mm. So change of plans. Dogs are coming with us to the base of the glacier. So they finally got to the glaciers um, and at this point, it was horrible. Still, still technically coming into summer, but a blizzard struck, um, and this, this is forced what I'm them saying. to. Yeah, it's always <laughs> winter. It's all. It's <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It's Icewind Dale in D and D, pretty much. Um, so they had hey. to. Yeah. <laughs> So they had to camp for several weeks because they physically could not go anywhere or do anything. It's way too dangerous. And because they had to do this, they hadn't made it to the next depot. So they had to break into their rashes that were intended for the glacier journey. So they're already down. They're down sledges. They're down rations. It's not looking good. 
When the blizzard finally lifted, the remaining ponies were shot as planned and they were used as food. Um, and that, that food was then taken and put along the different stages of the journey back home. So they were able to then um, separate their team. So uh, two people returned back with the dogs and they carried a message back to base that read that things are not as easy as they might be, but we keep our spirits up and say the luck must turn. <laughs> so they're like, we've had really shitty luck, but it's looking good. We're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I, I am so intrigued as to why the one message they sent back was about morale. Like, I think that there were a lot of other important <laughs> details that should have been relayed, but okay. Um, uh, so Scott did keep a very detailed journey, which is how we know about a lot of this stuff, because spoiler, Scott does not make it. <gasps> all of his notes do. Falcon, no. No. Falcon's down. So they check on. They make it over the glaciers. They're like, we're bloody doing it. We're heading to the South Pole. So here they are walking their little asses off for weeks to get near the South Pole. And they start to come upon it and they see a giant, giant black flag. And it was the Norwegian flag that had been planted um, several days earlier. Wait, so they finally make it to the South Pole, but the Norwegians were there? Yeah, well, the Norwegians had beat them and had left already. So oh they had arrived, my planted God. their flag, beat them. And the funny thing is that the Norwegians had set up a camp to rest before heading back. And in that camp, they had left a note um, uh, addressed to King Henry the Seventh of Norway. And they asked the British to politely please, please send this back because they had the capabilities and the Norwegians didn't. Oh so my god. They left a note being like, Can you please tell our king that we made it? Cheers. <laughs> what a fuck you. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing the British were bloody cheeky. So they're like, Okay, they must have just been here. This letter is dated, um, you know, X date. We've just arrived a couple of days later. They're heading back. There's no way that they've made it to their base camp yet because it's months long journey. We can beat them. If we beat them and we beat them to the telegraph, we can say we made it first. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. <gasps> okay. Yeah. So they're not going to be the first to get there, but they're going to be the first to get back. Yeah, that was that was their plan, and that plan went to complete shit. That did not happen. The Norwegians were – they won. They survived, and they planted their flag. Like, if that was the plan, so they could have just stayed in the UK and not left. <laughs> 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 Well, I think they planted the British flag too, so it was a little ambiguous. You think actually they knocked over the Norwegian flag? Do you think one of them <laughs> kicked it over? I would have. <laughs> did, did one of the classic oops? Yeah, I would have. I would have been so fucking mad. I would have like broken it in half over my knee. Like fuck this. Imagine if we did that on the moon. <laughs> All right. Wow, that's so sad. Yeah. But like, okay, kind of silver linings here. Glad we found the same, like th these are consistent results. Like glad we also found mm. the South Pole. This is actually yeah. the South Pole. Two independent studies agree this is the South Pole. Good yes. job. Yeah, and they came in from different directions as well. So they had different headings. So very good work. A plus. What are the odds? both found the South Pole. Yeah. Yes. 
So they turn around and they're like, we've got to hoik it back to the camp, get this telegraph out. So they make pretty okay time considering that several of the explorers were starting to have frostbite really severely on their feet and on their hands. Um, And they, you know, trekked a few weeks back. They got to the other side of the glaciers. um, So before they needed to trek over them. And this is when one of the explorers named Evans, last name Evans, he just died from complete exposure so he had really severe frostbite and just really severe exhaustion and he literally just sat at the bottom of the glacier before they needed to climb it and he passed away oh my god he's like i would literally rather die than climb this glacier yeah pretty much me too Uh, so to make things a bit worse they made it uh across one of the glaciers and they were meant to reach a point um, where the dogs would meet them and the dogs would have bought the dogs and the humans would have bought more supplies and stocked up the depot. Um, But they got there and there was no dogs. There was no humans. There was no extra supplies. Is this because of the change of plans before? So this, I think it was a whole shamoz of communications because the team that were meant to come back because of weather conditions, they were told it's too dangerous. You know, it's maybe we don't do this. So it's a whole bad range of miscommunication basically. And again, no cell phones can't call and say, hold tight. I'm coming. Hey, where are you guys? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they sat there waiting for this dog team because they're like, if we don't have the dog team, we physically have to walk back because the dog team was meant to help. Um, like they were they were going to be able to ride sleds rather than walk. Yeah. Uh, so they waited there and they waited for several days in hopes that the dogs were just running late and they never arrived. So on this final day, the leader, Scott, had made the decision um, that, you know, we need to, we're going to need to head off. So pack up your shit, we're, we're heading off. So Scott's and still alive at this point. Scott's still alive. So Scott made it to the South Pole. Yeah, Scott made it to the South Pole. Okay. Yeah, they all did. They all did, and then they died coming back. So, so far, Evans has died. He's the only one to die. The next person is going to be Oates. Now, Oates, when Scott made the the proclamation that we need to pack up, we have to get walking, Oates, who was also suffering from severe frostbite and exhaustion, um, is quoted in Scott's diary as saying, I'm just going to go outside and I might be sometime. And he literally just walked, walked to his death of exhaustion and exposure. Oh. Just walked, laid down and died. Oh my God. Isn't wow. that sad? That's legendary. Um, what a graceful just, human. I might be sometime. Just, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it kind of helped them because he was slowing them down with his frostbite. So, oh wow, they were they were like, oh, you know, with Oates and Evans dead, it, we can speed up a bit. So this is good. Um, but yeah, they they did not make it. So ultimately, they they all died. Um, basically waiting for a safe time to cross a certain area. So they were stuck at one depot. They needed to get to the other one to get the supplies that were left there by them months ago. Mm -hmm. The weather was so bad that there was blizzards, extreme weather. They all were coming to extreme frostbite at this (gasps) stage because they didn't have adequate shelter um, for this extended period of time. And so they were just waiting until they could cross. They physically could not. And it got to a point where... Um, Evans had wrote in his diary 
Um, every day we've been ready to start uh, out to our next depot. It is 11 miles away. But outside the door of the tent remains a scene of a whirling drift. I do not think that we can hope for better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but I and we are getting weaker. The end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write any more. And then he signs it, R. Scott, and then he writes, last entry, and the bottom quote is, for God's sake, look after our people. Whoa. Whoa. And so they're pretty sure that they all died, so the remaining four men died of exposure about that day, that day or a couple of days later. They, wow. They had no, no energy to do anything else. Wow. So they were only 11 miles away from their supplies. Yeah, wow. from their next stop. Wow. Oh, my God. But you said at the next stop was where the supplies were that they left months before. Yeah, so they should have had pony meat and oil to burn. Oh, my God. Um, But 11 miles is an insane way when you're – I mean, it's an insane way. If you asked me to walk 11 miles. True, true. Just, I'd be like, oh, yeah. okay. Um, but still, what an also I, graceful way that he just, like, you know, wrote, like, his little goodbye. Last century. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the doomed expedition to the South Pole. But I'd like to wrap up because the Terranova expedition in general was pretty successful. Yes, they lost a few people, which was very sad, and they weren't able to make it to the South Pole first. But um, I'd like to highlight that the science that they brought back, remember, this is one of the only missions that was hugely science-focused. And what they brought back was incredible. And for a very long time, that scientific development and exploration was completely overshadowed by the deaths of the South Pole team. So the 12 scientists who participated, um, and this is the largest Antarctic scientific team of its time. So no, no other people had ever brought this many scientists to, to explore <laughs> Antarctica before. So it was amazing. They made discoveries in zoology, botany, geography, glaciography, uh, and meteorolo meteorology. And nice. they returned to England with over 2,100 plants, animal, and fossil specimens, 400 of which were brand new to science. Wow. Good wow. for them. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So what is a stop turn? Oh, my God. What is a what, <laughs> <laughs> what is a thought terminating cliche so if we i mean the, the whole reason i stopped on this uh article was because i saw those words and i was like i recognize those words independently but put together i have no idea what that's supposed to mean <laughs> so yeah we know it thoughts no idea <laughs> thoughts terminating them so stopping thinking and somehow cliches have something to do with the mix so some of the other alternative like names i guess for this phenomenon are semantic stop signs <laughs> again not helping me <laughs> um thought stoppers kind of kind of getting there bumper sticker logic okay maybe getting further away for me okay or cliche thinking which is also um Maybe not as, as as helpful, but I think that the best way to describe this in human words rather than a bunch of like titles and buzzwords is to say that these are nuggets of information or logic or basically the ways to shut down a conversation that usually involve a cliche. But the whole essence oh. of it 
is that it's a shallow or simplification of something that's usually complex in a way that is supposed to evoke a very simple answer or common sense. And I'm going to give you loads of examples, but I think that just the overarching idea is that I am going to shut down your thoughts and any further conversation with garbage, with a cliche that means nothing. This is a bit like the like I've seen the meme where it's like a conspiracy theorist says like we didn't go to the moon, you look them dead in the eye and say there is no moon. (laughs) It's like one upping one upping their ridiculousness. It's not the same thing as one upping ridiculousness, but it is the same as I don't know if you've ever tried to have a conversation with a conspiracy theorist or with even like a friend when you're going through a hard time and they feed you some kind of bullshit platitude or cliche that has completely lost its meaning. So right. like hang in there. Yes. Yeah, something You'll like that. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like Daniel gave me a great one earlier today um, that a lot of times I think conspiracy theorists are kind of just like, you know, difficult people will use, which is you have to stand for something. Otherwise you'll fall for anything. As a way, (laughs) but it is a justification or a way of saying, no, I am going to hold my perhaps bad opinion because if I don't fight for something, then I fall for it. But the, but what's supposed to be a real um, quality of these thought terminating cliches is that the cliches like don't have the meaning that they should have if you looked at those words or those feelings individually. So it's using or passing off a cliche. But I think what made the concept click for me was thinking about bumper stickers, how you have a limited space to make a point and it's usually Mm -hmm. a moving target. So a lot of times you'll see kind of like, I guess, largely political or social sort of slogans or like neat little phrases on the back of a bumper sticker or like really cringy, like boomer t-shirts that makes me think of that. Um, Yeah. Or like billboards, just things that you're supposed to catch and they sound catchy. They sound like a cliche and it completely erases the complexities of an issue. And so the, the use of thought terminating cliches are to end a debate with a cliche rather than an actual point in a way that dismisses your argument and or possibly justifies fallacious logic. As in using the conspiracy theory as example, um, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If I say that at the end, if Sarah and I are having an argument about chemtrails and Sarah says (laughs) they're not real and, you know, God forbid Sarah says something like I trust my government (laughs) or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) me being a goddamn anarchist who just wants to throw hands will hit back at Sarah with, well, you've got to stand for something or you're going to fall for anything like chemtrails. Kind of drops the mic. I just, my soul would wither. I'd be like, okay, I can't anymore. And that's kind of the whole thing is that they are meant to shut down a conversation in a way that you do just kind of have to go, okay. 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 Oh, you know, yeah. I can't All argue right. with that. <laughs> I um, actually had this happen on my on my TikTok. I posted, 
so I got asked to be an expert because people thought the ISS wasn't real. Insane. So I posted a TikTok being like, I can't believe people think it's not real. Like, look, you can watch the video 24-7. And someone's like, that video is green screened. You can see the stars through it. And I'm like, I can't, I, if you don't believe it, I can't help you. I can only show mm. you facts. And they, they ended it with like, well, your facts are all lies. You've been, you've been taught lies and your brain is mush. And I'm like, yes, that, okay. there it is. That is exactly <laughs> it. So another one that people will say is fake news as if to say yeah. your source of information is fake. So I don't trust, not wow. only do I not trust you, but I don't trust your sources of information. And so another one that's exactly in the same line that I wrote down that was from the wiki article is blah, blah, blah are lies of the devil. Or it, <laughs> these are lies from the devil or these person's there ideas no are devil. lies. Well, okay, even if you do believe in a devil, which I do respect... The idea is that anything that is in league with what I've tacked on is in league with the devil. So it completely calls into question the integrity of what you've just said, the validity the of what you've just said. Exactly. And so they all get brought That's together. Mean. Well, it's <laughs> so mean. It's an element of communication. I mean, it's just kind of the way our brains are wired to keep groups of information together and you know conversation is fast yeah. and complex so i thought it was very interesting that you know in the way that people will try to falsify one another a lot of times it's a lot easier rather than pinpointing different details and different facts individually it is easier to say well sarah's just in league with the devil so okay anytime you agree with sarah you're also in league with the devil that's the end Whoa. of that. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So some of the other examples that the wiki article put down were stop thinking so much. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's just, it's so stupid though. If, it's like, but here, stupid town. If I say Drew, I just scooped some water out of this river and it's clear. Obviously I can drink it. Stop thinking so much. <laughs> what i've done what i've done is i have halted your thoughts with that last phrase even if it was just for yeah. a moment i totally agree it's stupid town but even if for a moment you were starting to think mm, that water may be clear but there could be germs in it there could be god knows what else in it but when i said stop thinking so much it forced you to stop and focus on the prevailing detail that I told you, which is that the water's clear. Water's clear. Mm. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, it's it's like saying use your common sense, but it's kind of ironic because you really should give it's not common sense. <laughs> it's like the opposite. I get it though. It makes sense. And I think this has happened to me many times in my life so one that and I sometimes you agree you're like okay actually Sarah the one that I thought of for me I have also heard you say <sighs> what is it okay when I am feeling overwhelmed and I am dropping the ball and I'm just not doing the things that I want to do I will go to into a meeting or I'll go to like you know oh I can't make it to that dinner that night because I'm a garbage person Oh. And it's not oh, it's we're being mean to ourselves. But it's also like 
it's a cliche that our generation throws around. Oh, I'm a trash human. Oh, I'm a garbage person. And so it's a meaningless cliche, but it also means, well, I didn't do all of these things just because I suck. Like broadly, I suck. Instead of getting into yeah. the intricacies of like, no, I'm oversubscribed. I made these planning mistakes. Like instead of getting all, all of that, don't think about that. Don't think about me and what's going on in my life. Just, Just, I'm a garbage I'm person. I'm trash. Yes. Lower expectations globally. I do that all the time. I've, yeah, I have definitely said it. I know you've said it. I, you know, <laughs> Drew, don't say it. If you don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> I definitely don't. Drew's not. No, I, I, <laughs> Drew's like, well, because I'm not trash. Well, that's not true. Fuck. God damn it. Now damn we're it. here. No, no, no. <laughs> Stop it. But what it made me think of was... You know, like you're complaining about something and it's like, oh man, this really hurts. And someone says, life is pain. And it's, You know what I mean? Yes. And, and it's like, but you're, it's almost like invalidating like anyone's feelings or thought, if that makes sense. Like totally. it's like, yeah. not totally like strike a line through well, that. Yeah. Life is pain. It's and like, it's, well, fuck me. Like I, <laughs> it's a totally, it's, like, it's a quick invalidation and a quick shut off. And that's why it gets the nickname, like the semantic stop sign. Because now we're, that's it. That's the end of that. And you're totally right. Like, life is pain. It's like, well, I can't argue with that statement. That's a true statement. Yeah. But it's also a cliche. It doesn't actually mean anything. It doesn't actually hold any water. You know, it's just a shut off. It's, it's like a, a verbal shut off of a conversation. This is the thought terminating cliche. That's exactly it. So another one that I thought of that I see on Twitter, I see during presidential debates, politicians love to say, let me be clear and then say something. And what's interesting about that is if they use words like make no mistake, let me be clear. It's not really at the end of the sentence, but what they're saying is I'm about to say a fact and you should narrowly look at just that fact, none of the other intricacies around it, because I have told you I'm being clear, but also like I, I am stopping you from making the mistake of thinking around it. So, like, I'll use a positive one. Make no mistake, billionaires should not exist. Yeah, true. I mean, I do agree, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm but you see, I think they use this a lot when they are dodging a point or they are not being truthful or they're trying to present an alternate fact to whatever is happening. Yes. Like what's her name? Marjorie Taylor. Marjorie Taylor Green. Republic? Green, fuck, yeah. Fuck her. Sorry. Um, she does this a lot. Like I was watching some of her, I don't know what, what uh, she was being deposed for, but her answers were like, they it was illogical but she did a very similar thing with like and it was infuriating it was so infuriating yes but it's like she believes it yes no that is that is exactly the phenomenon that i was trying to get after like you you've exactly hit it it's like you know okay. you can you can get across fallacious logic but if you deliver it as as you're saying, this is common sense and you don't need to think more about it, like we're sweeping it under the rug. You don't need to think. Just stop thinking so much like this is this is all you need to think about. This is all you need to know. And that's it. And in the same way, you know, some some genres of T-shirts and bumper stickers are kind of the same thing because it's the start and the solution 
all in one neat package. Like this is it all self-contained. And in the same vein, actually, Alcoholics Anonymous and other religions use the same practices. So wrapped up under the umbrella term of cliché, the article includes just repeated phrases. So I don't mean to put myself in the apology corner. I swear to you that this was on the wiki article, but the Hail Mary. So mm-hmm. in the Christian religion, if you are having these intrusive thoughts that are maybe like impure, you're supposed to just say a bunch of Hail Marys. And what's interesting is for a lot of people, if you repeat any phrase, Again and again and again, the phrase loses its meaning. And so according to the wiki article, in this exact circumstance, a cliche is a repeated prayer that you have lost the meaning of because you've repeated it so much. But even though like you and another person are not having a dialogue, you're having this dialogue with yourself. You're you're going about your day. You're having these thoughts of just an internal conversation with yourself. One of them comes in that's a bit tempting and you shut down that conversation with yourself with a bunch of Hail Marys. Um, I've never been in AA, so I don't know what the phrase is for AA. I didn't look it up. Um, But according to the wiki article, maybe this is more for good. But in AA, I think to avoid starting to drink alcohol, they will repeat the same phrase. Um, Oh, oh, I just... (laughs) I just had a stupid example. (laughs) Because I don't know why you think about this. Do you remember the show Angry Beavers? I loved Angry Beavers. There's one episode where Norb is, um, he's a bedbiter, which means he chews, like, all the wood around him. It's like a, a reference to being a bedwetter and all that. But um, he chews all the, the wood around him, and so he sets up a tape recording that says, I am not a bedbiter. I, <laughs> and, of course, um, someone bumps into it, and it says... I am a bedbiter by the end of it. <laughs> so he wakes up and the whole house is eaten and he's just like, no. <laughs> so, so it just, it just made me think of that. Just like, I am not a bedbiter. <laughs> so but, it, but it is getting after the same idea of, of all of these examples, which is shutting down thoughts, whether it's for good or for bad. Yeah. And it's interesting to think, you know, if this is a comforting thing or it can be comforting i wonder if there's a part of us when we say things to each other like well life is pain that maybe we think we're offering some kind of comfort with a familiar phrase or you know not introducing Mm -hmm. a totally new concept which of course is not true it would be nice to have like a little bit more thought another one that i thought of along those same lines were well the ends justify the means in that way you're erasing everything that it's taking and you're saying, well, I'll just put it, put it aside and focus on, on where mm-hmm. this is going. Wow. Um, so I wanted to maybe give a more – a lot of this credit has to go to Robert J. Lifton, who in 1961 is the one who, I guess, really coined this phrase or coined this study. So it's like kind of new in the way of sociology, but I think that this has always existed. And – I thought that it was kind of cool the way that he described it. So I wrote down a quote of of him describing these phrases that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, He calls this the language of non-thought because these are ways to stop thoughts. Okay. He said, the most far-reaching and complex of human problems are compressed into brief, 
highly reductive, definitive sounding phrases, easily memorized and easily expressed. They become the start and the finish of any ideological analysis. So another example that Daniel brought up, I can't take credit, is during the O.J. Simpson trial. Do you remember the Mm -hmm. phrase? Well, I guess we were all kind of young. Do it, Sarah. The glove didn't fit. If the glove doesn't fit, fit. you must acquit. That's it. it. Yeah. So there is... Which is such a lie. The glove did fit. He was putting on a show. (laughs) But, okay, but, but take that... First of all, the fact that everybody had that memorized... That little point phrase and start and finish. We've got problem and outcome or we've got like the setup and the resolution all Mm -hmm. together easily expressed. That is the start and the finish of any ideological analysis. I wonder how much impact that actually had on the jury. If they if we still remember it so many years later and the jury was sitting there going, well, they've got a point. I've got to find reasonable doubt. That sentence is reasonable doubt, if I believe it. It's true. Well, yes. No. So I think that the the fact that they are these little like earworm or brainworm kind of a thing, it's very yeah. much the same thing. I wrote down that made me think of um, there was one that I used to, to see a lot. Like I these make me think of like back in the day when you would aim away messages and you would try to make them these like <laughs> yeah. really like edgy like pieces of advice that just apply to anything but really like don't (laughs) Um, one of them that that used to appeal to me personally was better to die on your feet than live on your knees which is meant to be like this whole like gotcha (laughs) kind of a thing but it it did you have that as your message if it wasn't my underlying i'm listening to emo and i feel like a badass mo um i don't know that i would have put that actually in my profile but it was definitely an attitude that i would have vibed with real hard in middle school like yeah like anarchist kind of better to die on your feet than live on your knees but it's that kind of setup and and resolution that again oversimplifies and is highly reductive in the words of jay lifton Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll end on a little bit of brain food. This was a a, another part of the wiki article that talks about a particularly powerful column that was written in The Diplomat in 2015. And it was actually a criticism of the way that China was persecuting a lot of intellectuals, artists, and journalists. But I think that it could very easily apply to a lot of politics, especially today. But I'm just going to leave it as brain food and something to think about. Bit of a mic drop. So David Volodsko in The Diplomat in 2015 was writing about China and China's justification for persecuting Tibetans, Uyghurs, Falun Gong, artists, and journalists. And he summed up, or sorry, China, not him, China summed up all of these persecutions as being for, quote, security reasons which sounds very familiar to a lot of politics quote security reasons as a thought terminating Mm -hmm. cliche so i'm gonna do all of these things for security reasons that's the period on the end of that sentence don't don't argue with me if i'm a government further explanation for security reasons i have to do all of these things going on to say and this is david velosco's words which were i thought excellent 
It's every bit as vapid as saying God moves in mysterious ways or support our troops. What if it really means that (laughs) what the really means is that the party is more important than the people. Yes. Wow. Mike. Boom. Boom. Wow. But I thought those were all really good examples. Yeah. Because. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into it. I just want to leave that as as something. Yeah, brain excellent. food. Brain food. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> free, Chew on free that. Brain food for you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week I ended up on the topic of face powder, uh, which definitely was not very far from body modification, uh, because as we all know, makeup is a form of body modification. It's a very oh. minor body modification, but it is it is oh. a form of body modification. I didn't. No, know that. that did not occur to me oh, either well, at all. Yeah, m- makeup oh, is body I modification. Modify my body every day. <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> it's it's a very common body modification, I will say. Okay. Um, well, when I got into the makeup page, because I clicked on makeup, uh, <laughs> there were a lot of terms for products I had no idea about. I just like <laughs> no idea what they did. I was looking at them like, what the hell is that thing? Do you have and some examples? What was so funny that you had <laughs> what, no idea? What mystified you? I, I looked and I was like, foundation? Like, that's a house. Like, a house is built on that. What the hell does that do? There, there were a few, but but I immediately saw a face powder. And I was like, oh, I kind of know what that is. Um, and because uh, I knew there was a lot of history behind face powder, but I didn't really expect the amount of history that I got when I actually clicked on, on face powder. I'm keen because all I think of with face powder is like back in Victorian or Edwardian era where they're like, got to make myself look really, really white and they were poisoning themselves. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that so much. Okay. okay. So I think it would be best, as I always do. Uh, to define my topic because I just want to get us all on the same level when it comes to, to you know, what face powder is. Yeah. Um, Some individuals so, may not be as well versed as you in the ways of makeup. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so face powder is a cosmetic product that is applied to the face to serve different functions, but typically is used to beautify the face. So there you go. It's, it's a thing you throw on your face to make you beautiful. It just happens. Like flour. Uh, <laughs> Like, exactly. <laughs> this is why women are in the kitchen. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I'm obviously oh. joking. I am an anarch when it comes to... We all know you're joking. <laughs> that's why it was so funny that you said it. <laughs> all of us so. here. <laughs> Okay. So, this, this, so this type of product was actually first developed in ancient Egypt, which, whoa, I was not expecting that. Mm-hmm. No. Um, and it turns out face powder has been used throughout history for many different social uses, but also a lot across different cultures and is even used in modern times. So, like, it's been used everywhere and it's kind of been used just basically throughout human history. So the modern uses of face powder involve setting makeup, brightening the skin, and adding contour to the face. But whatever the fuck that means, I don't know. It makes you uh, look skinnier. You add a bit of darkness where there should be shadow. Okay. Yeah. That's, wow, that's like, 
Wow. Anyway. <laughs> but, but ancient uses of face powder actually did vary beyond just the aesthetic uses. So it, it was a little bit beyond just like, hey, it makes you look pretty. Um, so face powder, I'm sure you two know, but it was news to me. It comes in two main types. So the first is loose powder, uh, which is used for oily skin to absorb excess moisture and to mattify the face, to reduce shininess, which sounds like a bunch of makeup mumbo jumbo to me. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> mattify, I, it was used in the wiki article, but I was like, I was like, I don't know what that means. To make anyway. that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your dick looks less like a, a pizza. Okay. Like, I often have very oily pizza topping looking skin. Chuck okay. some powder on it and you you look like flour. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wait, I think Drew is definitely like, why do you not want shiny? I think he's where Drew is stuck. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't because get it. Because of beauty standards. Though, shiny's coming back into fashion. Well, you know what? We'll get into bo- beauty standard booty standards. Booty standards. <laughs> beauty standard booty standards. Mm. Um, so <laughs> the other is compress powder, which is used to conceal blemishes and is used to quote unquote maximize coverage. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? I, I, I don't know. So like a pressed powder is like in a little you might see it in like a little dish and someone has a brush and they brush it on. Okay. And I guess it's more dense, but then loose powder, I feel like they do the same thing. I don't really understand the difference. I'm like, what? one is crumbly, one is not. Yeah. What does maximize coverage mean? Like, what? Of blemishes, I guess. Like, if you've, like, my big pimple in the middle of my oh, forehead, chuck some oh. powder on that bad boy. And he might well, <laughs> as you can tell, obviously tell, I appreciate makeup from a distance. A very far distance, but a distance. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway that was the more modern usage of face powders but in general face powders um, have been an aspect of beauty standards throughout history so in ancient Europe and Asia a whitened face and a smooth complexion was a clear sign of a woman of high status mm-hmm. so as we mentioned before this is the whole I don't work outside and get to you know get all dirty therefore I'm high status kind of a thing mm-hmm. um, so the prevalence of this trend uh, was actually carried throughout the Crusades and even the medieval era. And of course, as the old saying goes, beauty is pain. This is <gasps> kind of <laughs> <it's> like a, <laughs> what Lindsay just mentioned. Yeah, that would be a great way to shut down someone complaining about a corset. Exactly. Beauty is pain. Beauty is pain. We'll get into that. Okay. Well, not corsets, but we'll get into that. Okay. Um, but as I said, beauty is pain. So women actually used harmful ingredients on their face, including bleaches, lead, and lye. I don't know if you know what lye is, do you? Doesn't that decompose a body? Basically, yeah. I mean, well, it depends on how strong of a bleach, because it it depends on how willing it is to give off hydrogen. Because I'm sure, I'm sure I've heard of a crime case where someone tried to cover the body in lye and it only works if it's not moist. If it's moist, it does another oxidization and it preserves the body. Well, do you know what lye is? Isn't it poison? So, uh, well, it it could very well be. Um, It's a metal hydroxide. Uh, It's commonly refers to sodium hydroxide or NaOH. (laughs) <laughs> or as I like to say, no, don't drink that. Because <laughs> 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 
It's kind of like, no, anyway. That's a, that's a slight chemistry joke. <laughs> forensic scientist is popping out. No, that's chemistry. That's biochem. Oh, chemistry. So I never took a chemistry class. <laughs> no. Really? No. And they, because I like how the OH is a little is capitalized, so it's like, oh. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> uh, so, so, I love that joke. <laughs> anyway, so let's start out with ancient Egypt where, as I mentioned before, face powder was actually first developed. So, archaeological remains and chemical analysis indicate that face powder date, be, dates back to between 2000 and 1200 BCE. Mm. Holy shit, that's super old. Yeah, um, very old. And included lead fibers, which were a common cosmetic ingredient used in ancient Egypt. Um, and then... Sorry. So coal jars, uh, which were used to store eyeliner. So eyeliner was also very popular back then. Um, as well as stone containers holding face powder were discovered in graves from this time period. So it was believed that these cosmetic items would grant eternal beauty in the afterlife. So wow. basically setting yourself up to have these cosmetic things in the afterlife, which is kind of neat. It's cool. Um, and then well, this is like modern day. If you get a mortuary. I was thinking the same to- thing. Because they, they do cosmology, cosmetology, not cosmology. They don't study the stars. Um, <laughs> I follow this mortician on TikTok who, like, they go through all the different face products that they use for makeup because it's wow. different. And then you get day. laid to eternal rest looking beautiful. Looking like a bad bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. Slay and be slain. <laughs> That's what we <laughs> Good. Put that on my tombstone, please. Play. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> so in addition to both eyeliner and face powder, which were commonly used, uh, men and women would actually use uh, a rouge powdering bl- a powdered blush uh, for their cheeks, uh, which was med- made from red ochre. So I don't know. It... it there was evidence that men used eyeliner and face powder, but the red ochre, like the, the rouge was more common among men and women, but the, the women tend to use the eyeliner and face powder. So it, 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 both, you know, both genders tended to, you know, use a little bit of makeup during, during this period. So it dabbled. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So what I also found very interesting about ancient Egypt was that our girl Cleopatra actually heavily influenced the ancient Egyptian beauty standards with her distinctive makeup style, which, holy shit, humans don't change. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a famous person makes you like, oh, I want to like use her makeup or, you know, follow her makeup mm-hmm. style. Holy shit, humans don't change. Yeah. So, um, so this inspired a lot of ancient Egyptians to paint their eyes with green and blue powders. So uh, face powder was also considered to have medical purposes as well. It was uh, meant to protect you from illness. So that was, I guess, I guess, you know, that's kind of cool, but I don't know how effective it was. Um, but another fact that I found very interesting was that face powder, like the, the, the face powder and the colors that they, that they use for makeup were actually synthetic compounds, which indicate, which like clearly indicates that they actually had very complex wet chemistry back then, mm. and so you know they were making these these inorganic synthetic compounds. They weren't just finding you know blue and green shit and putting it on their eyes. 
they were like actually synthesizing it with wet chemistry. So that's like super cool. Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. And, and I read there was, I can only get the abstract from it, but there was a whole paper on the wet chemistry that um, like Egyptians had. And that was uh, super wow. cool. Wow. I know this is a long um, shot, but if any of our listeners know anything about that, DM us expeditiously. <laughs> That's a $10 word right there. <laughs> that is a $10 word. That's a good I can't spell that word. <laughs> I really want Sarah Bridget. to spell pigment. <laughs> I would spell it as pigment. Oh, that would, okay. That would get you there. That would probably get it. Yeah. That would get you there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought maybe you'd make something that sounds silly. Oh, who Pimkin. knows? <laughs> so now we move to ancient Greece, um, which was super interesting because the ancient Egyptian beauty trends actually traveled across the Mediterranean and influenced the cosmetic practices of the Greeks. Yes. Holy shit, that's super cool. So uh, the Greeks using, using similar ingredients to the Egyptians actually used cinnabar as a powdered rouge for their face and used white lead to brighten their complexion. Oh, see, so I didn't know again, lead was white. Le- lead can be white. Um, lead can be a lot of different colors depending on the compound that it's in. So it's, it's, um, it's still not good for you, right? Definitely well, would not recommend rubbing it on your face. Well, we'll get into that because it's, okay. it's, it's super important. So once again, um, a sign of belonging to the upper class was white unblemished skin that was free from free of sun exposure. Uh, so this of mm. course came from the idea that life of a wealthy woman involves staying indoors and away from the sun. So it was just kind of, you know, that's that's what your place was. But um, so archaeological evidence indicates that uh, traces of skin lightening face powder made from white lead have been found uh, from the graves of wealthy ancient Greek women. So it was like actually being used. Um, I'm not sure specifically for uh, burials, but it was definitely still being used at the time. Mm. Um so in the ancient in the city of Athens, uh, which is nearby the Laurian mines, uh, which is a very productive silver mine, white lead was actually found as a byproduct of the extracted silver, oh. which is that's super cool because the silver was super important, and then white yeah. lead became very important because this white lead byproduct is actually where the Greeks uh, produced their white face powder from. Mm. And the use of face powder also appears in written works from the ancient Greeks, where it was written that women would rub white lead on their faces to appear whiter. In a comparison of lower class and upper class women, it was written that poor women are not plastered all over with white lead. So there was there was clearly written like context about this a little yeah. bit, where just like yeah. if you were upper class, you had white lead on your face. Like it's not speculation um, from like, samples people have found this is now just yeah this evidence. is like literally written about it yeah. yeah so um while it was known at the time that lead was poisonous the ancient greeks were not deterred from applying this powder to their faces so as i said before beauty is pain well now beauty's poisonous or beauty is lead <laughs> beauty's gonna kill you that's that's what i'm gonna go with beauty is lead that's my takeaway beauty is lead i really want you to write a spoken word poem Beauty led. <laughs> Beauty is pain. Beauty is Beauty lead. is pain. Beauty is So heavy. now we get to <laughs> <Beauty is heavy. laughs> No, it's fine. 
So now we get to ancient Rome, where the use of face powder was centered around the Roman ideal of femininity and beauty standards, both of which expressed sign of social and health status. So the pale complexion was desired by Roman women and is frequently expressed in Roman poetry, actually. So huh. archaeologists have uncovered small glass jars and brushes suggesting that Romans stored and used face powder. So it wasn't just like it was it was wasn't just like you'd apply it, you actually had brushes for it. So it was it was yeah. a little like, you know, a little more advanced. And then um, skin whitening as well as sun blocking was practiced by applying the face powder, which was a mix of white lead shavings and vinegar. So they actually would oh, literally oh, use sunblock. Yeah, right? Oh. That's what I was yeah. thinking too. I was like, <laughs> as if they didn't smell bad enough. <laughs> Chuck it on. Ugh. Chuck it on. So so this this mix of, of white lead and vinegar uh, was actually used to conceal blemishes and freckles as well as smooth their skin. Um, and so they used this powder specifically for that. And they also used chalk to whiten the skin, as well as powdered ash or saffron on their eyes. So they had a little bit Ooh. different kind of um, like makeup that they used, but it was it was all basically centered around this face powder um, that was that was very whitening. So now we move to China, where the use of face powder dates back to the spring and autumn period, which is seven hundred seventy to four hundred seventy six BCE. Wow, still. Old. Um, and still super old. So an early form of face powder was actually prepared by grinding fine rice and then that was applied to the face. So it was just like a, a very fine rice powder that you'd use to apply to your face. But for them it In was addition, also this one, like white pigment. I don't know if it was so much white pigment um or was it white rice? I don't know how it works. I think it was white rice probably. Wow. I'm not 100% sure how it worked. They just they just said that fine rice um, was ground and then applied to the face. So I, I, I didn't. I should have looked on the sources more on that. But because um, well, the next thing that that they said hit me, and I was like, "Holy shit!" They ground pearls. So pearls were crushed to create pearl powder that was that was meant to improve facial appearance and was it used makes you shiny. Exactly, um, it makes you very shiny, and was used for medicine. Uh, to treat eye disease, acne, and tuberculosis of all things. Oh. I don't know how effective wow. that was, but, but it wow. would. That's what they used it for. I'm going to rub some pearls on my pimples and see what happens. See what happens. That's a pretty expensive pimple treatment. I was going to say, that's yeah. like so expensive, but also like, I bet that was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, we'll get, we'll get to that. We will figures. get to that. Okay. So, um... Chinese empresses would actually use pearl powder to maintain their radiant skin. Um, in addition to using lead, uh, which was a common ingredient in face powders, and remained popular for its skin whitening properties. So that was, that was ancient China. So now we move to the Renaissance period, which is super cool, but kind of a little similar. So considering that disease was prevalent, beauty in the Middle Ages was characterized by having clear, bright skin that signaled both fertility and good health. Because mm. you didn't have the plague. Exactly. <laughs> Look at me. Plague-free. <laughs> no boils on this face. <laughs> it was also, well, we'll get to that in a second. So okay. uh, lead-based powders were actually continually used throughout the 16th century by noble classes. So Queen Elizabeth I which is what Sarah was mentioning before, was known to use face powder not only to whiten her face, but to also conceal her small her smallpox scars. <gasps> so she had smallpox scars on her face. And so what she would do is she'd use the face powder to cover those up. Interesting. Makes sense. 
Well, many believe that the cause of her death was actually blood poisoning that was primarily due to her cosmetic practices of using makeup oh. containing toxic materials, <laughs> namely lead-based face powder. Holy shit. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if they still have her body because the royals get in, encrypted or entombed in like lead-lined mega caskets and I forget the church or the abbey that it's at but they have like royalty for hundreds of years down there in this protected crypt so i wonder if they could open her up and do some tests on her blood that i don't really know cool. that's a that would be, be really a, cool. that's a great question that's a really good question they probably buckingham palace i feel like would not like that would not like that would not like it at all so again <laughs> beauty beauty is pain beauty is lead and now beauty is death so there you go. That's a <laughs> beauty's pain, <laughs> lead, and death. That's beauty. Anyway. <laughs> so during the Victorian era, um, noticeable makeup became less popular, actually. Uh, women desired to look more naturally beautiful. So does that mean they stopped using face powders? Can you guess? No. That's a resounding no. You bet. <laughs> So instead, face powders were derived from zinc oxides, which are much, much safer compared to lead, like much safer, and apparently produce a more natural look when used. That's a little speculation on my part, but I think that's kind of why they started to use it. I think they might still use zinc oxides in makeup today, right? Yep, in pigments. Yep, Yep, and a lot of things. Um, And basically, I think white lead was very very white so it would make you kind of that ghost white while zinc mm. white is a little less white but then again i'm not a spectrophotometer so i don't really know so you know at the end of the day i don't know uh, <laughs> so like that was a very high class chemistry joke that was a very high class chemistry joke and none of you Man, I'll put in some canned laughter for you. Drew, I think you should just stick to writing poems. Chemistry jokes are not for you. You should just write poems. Chemistry jokes. Okay. (laughs) You know, I'll. (laughs) That aside. (laughs) So during the outbreak of smallpox in 1760, uh, less women actually used face powder due to how it aggravated the skin and revealed facial scarring. So that was kind Mm -hmm. of a, a, you know, We'd rather not be in pain from, you know, our smallpox, but also, you know, this skin, this very aggravating skin treatment. Low-key feminist Um, in the Victorian period. (laughs) Like, wow. However. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Works of art from the Renaissance reinforced the idealized image of beauty and again influenced the use of face powder. So these works created social pressure to maintain unblemished light skin. So even Shakespeare... social pressure continues today. Exactly. So even even Shakespeare's works uh, commented on femininity and the culture of cosmetic use at the time. He highlighted the desire for glistening complexion that was achieved through the use of pearl face powder. So so Shakespeare wrote about that, and he said how beautiful it looks. I'm with you, Shakespeare. Yeah. Grind up some pearls. Throw it on your face. I think that'd be awesome. I'm so (laughs) with Shakespeare on this. And all of the ancient (laughs) Chinese people. 
<laughs> so basically face powder was a huge deal throughout human history. And I just, I thought that was super cool. Now, of course, there are a lot of modern uses of face powder, uh, specifically through the 1900s and onwards, uh, with cosmetics becoming very popular due to their presence specifically in Hollywood movies in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. However, I was, I, was not, I was not super interested in this part because I really wanted to learn about ancient face powder and not really learn about modern face powder. Um, so if you really want to know about modern face powder, there's like a little tiny bit about it in the article, um, that describes its usage, but I'll just break it down like this. Magazines and movie stars really dictate the use of face powder moving forward. Like that's it. The damn talkies. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So as I said, I really wanted to focus more on the ancient use of face powders, but I kind of felt like this became a little bit of a commentary on beauty standards throughout ancient history, which, you know, was pretty cool. So I, I found it very interesting. Um, but I wanted to end off by reminding everyone that beauty is pain led in death. But seriously, <laughs> I want to, I really just want to say that I'm glad modern beauty standards are moving away from being very specific and more all-encompassing because I really believe that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So to me, everyone is beautiful in their own way. So that's it. Face powder, it's great. I enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed it. I want to remind everyone that I am still vetting applications. So is Sarah. You cannot just walk into this cutie's heart unvetted. Everyone who was moved by that, there is an application process. Yes, and we are looking to schedule dates this year. <laughs> 2022 will be Drew's year <laughs> oh, to find the one. So what? Good 2022 luck. 2022 to find the one. <laughs> <laughs> that was very sweet, Drew. I, I really... That was very I sweet. love that. And I, I learned a lot, but what's also kind of touching about the whole thing is like, it's kind of cool to think in the traditions that get passed down, even like in the ways that women or even, you know, non-bi- non-binary or even men, just the way that we as humans teach each other to apply makeup. It's kind of amazing to think that this is a tradition of teaching each other and applying makeup to each other and for each other that has existed for thousands of years. Like, I wish that I could be some omniscient being to see (laughs) the, like, you know, those skills being passed on among communities and to generation to generation. Because it's like, even now in the way that we virtually, like, speaking personally watch makeup videos exactly like nobody sat down and taught me how to put on makeup so anytime i need to learn how to do something i'll watch a video but you know i bet that even back in you know whatever dynasty it was that there were still people being like you know let me teach you in the community how to put on makeup and that was awesome i love that and i especially loved your um personal like confusion and (laughs) yeah it was so cute and I like that you were writing poems beauty is pain beauty is lead beauty is death I'm gonna make a poster we're gonna have a custom poster of that custom poster Um, I like it available on the Patreon at any tier I love that (laughs) hell yeah I learned so much today I know I always say that but I really learned so much (laughs) What's cool is like, 
I even learned about the things that I feel like I came to talk to you guys about. Like everybody's contributions made me learn so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? This is a very heartwarming episode, I feel, from the question of the week all the way through to Drew's poetry. Just very, very moving <laughs> episode. I agree. So thank you. I agree. Wow. I loved it. Thank you so much, everybody, for being a part of this moment with us. We would love to hang out with you by any means possible. Come hang out on Twitter, go ask Alice Pod. Go hang out with us on Instagram, go ask Alice Podcast. We get so excited when we see that we have made more friends. You are always welcome in our Discord. We have a spoilers channel where throughout the week we will post hints about what we are going to talk about next. And there has been quite a hilarious community of just hodgepodge people from all over creation who just want to learn weird and random facts. It's been a really fun place to just learn stuff that's new. Um, if Patreon is how you like to show your affection, we are on Patreon. So please come find us. Go ask Alice. And there you can get all kinds of amazing goodies, prizes, and surprises. Sarah is currently in the process of making our very first care packages to send out to our patrons. And like today's episode, you can pick our starting page if you subscribe to the third tier or higher, which is only $10 a month. And I think that about wraps it up. So thank you, everybody. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And thank you, Jinxie. Yes, thank you, Jinxie. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and everyone can just be an idiot in the bedroom, not in the living room. <laughs>